Hi, my name is Tommaso, your first year student host for the My First Year Story podcast. Here I'll be sitting down with people who have the answers to your college questions and who can help me survive my first year as a University of Connecticut student by telling their own first year stories during our conversations. Welcome back to all our listeners. Today I'm joined by UConn Physiology and Neurobiology doctoral candidate Colin Cleary. Colin is a 2017 UConn graduate who earned a dual degree in physiology and neurobiology and molecular and cell biology. He continued at UConn as a graduate student and is graduating with his PhD in April 2021. Colin has contributed to investigating brainstem respiratory physiology through numerous projects in Dr. Daniel Mulkey's lab. He was the first at UConn in the life sciences to be awarded the NRSA Pre-Doctoral Fellowship from the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. Thank you so much for joining me today, Colin. Would you please introduce yourself to our listeners, your name, um, your major, <laughs> pronouns, hometown, and what's your favorite TV show or movie? Okay, thanks for having me. Uh, as you've introduced, my name is Colin. <laughs> um, my, I guess I don't really have a major. I, I'm a PhD student in PNB, physiology and neurobiology. Um, he or whatever the pronouns are yeah. is fine for me. Um, I grew up, or my hometown is Woodbury, Connecticut, which is in the western part of Connecticut. Um, my favorite TV show has to be The Office. I've watched it maybe 50 plus times. So um, movie, I think I like um, The Dark Knight maybe. Okay. That's a good one. Uh, we can go on and on about. Yeah. <laughs> we could have a whole podcast about yeah. TV shows and movies, but unfortunately that is not what we're here for. Yeah. Um, all right, let's dive in. So where did you, you mentioned you just grew up in Woodbury and how did you come to enroll at UConn as an undergraduate student? Yeah, so uh, I applied to UConn among uh, six other colleges I was interested in applying to uh, my senior year of high school. I got all my acceptances and financial packages back and UConn just made the most sense for me financially. Yeah. Um, however, it really sealed the deal when I came on campus and had like a uh, that first look day or whatever it was. Right. Um, the campus was beautiful. I really liked the environment here. So um, it just made sense to come to UConn. Yeah, campus is a completely different story in the winter than it is in the summer. Like yeah. you come here in the summer or in the spring and it's got the grass and the trees are blooming and all the animals are everywhere and everyone's <laughs> outside on the quad. But in the winter, it's like ghost town. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, the, the weekends that they have, because I mean, this is my eighth year on campus, so right. I've seen the tours, and the, they're always beautiful days that people just happen to show up for tours. I don't know how they plan it, but it I know. works out. They don't tell you about the wind on no. those tours. <laughs> um, so uh, we talked about, we just talked about how you got to UConn, but how did you kind of choose your specific major of physiology and neurobiology and molecular and cell biology rather than, let's say, chemistry or um, allied health sciences, something like that? Yeah, so um, I didn't really know what major per se I wanted to come into when I applied to UConn. I knew it was going to be something in science because that was sort of my passion in high school, but um, I really didn't know. So I came in allied health sciences uh, just because my career options I was looking for at that point were, was uh, geared towards being a physician assistant. Mm -hmm. And I thought that would be the best major to help me get there. Um, I quickly realized, though, that I didn't really know what I wanted to do after college. So I sort of transitioned to a major that would allow me more opportunities. Some flexibility. Yeah. So um, I also really liked the courses from physiology and neurobiology specifically. Mm -hmm. So it sort of was just a natural transition to get um, more bang for my buck from uh, yeah. all of these majors. So that's sort of, sort of how I transitioned to CLAS and then all those um, 
major programs. And did you have a passion for science before college or was it kind of sort of a natural segue? Yeah, it was it was a natural, but also I really enjoyed my science class. I mean, I, I can remember like sixth grade science. I just loved it. So yeah. um, I was really interested in different topics in science. So I was always in the, like the advanced science courses in middle school and high school and all that stuff. So right. it was just natural for me to get higher education. strength, yeah. Exactly. But um, it wasn't my only strength. I actually, uh, I was really interested in video production in high school. And that was sort of one of the paths I was thinking of choosing for college, going to like more arts, like degree, video right. editing and, and that sort of stuff. But I chose science because I thought it would be a little easier to get yeah. a career. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Those STEM careers are in a in yeah. high, high demand yeah. as of recent. So um, what was the most challenging for you? I know now we're eight years on campus. Let's go back to your first year. What was the most challenging thing for you during your first year at UConn? And what did you learn from those experiences that helped kind of guide and guide you along for the rest of those seven years? Yeah. So uh, I was a freshman in Goodyear Hall on uh, what is it, Northwest? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was much nicer back then because it was a little newer. Um, so I was, you know, bushy-eyed and or whatever. Yeah, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Yeah, exactly. Um, and ready to experience new things at college. Um, I really jumped into the deep end with courses. I took a lot of APs in high school. So mm -hmm. I, and that's actually why I was able to get a dual degree because I just had so many courses that I brought in mm -hmm. um, from high school. But nonetheless, I started with really a course load that I think looking back was a little too much for an incoming freshman. It was a lot of sophomore level courses I was yeah. taking um, and that didn't really help my transition much. Uh, no. So <laughs> I really had to take a step back and, you know, sacrifice some of those early friendships and building relationships and doing fun stuff on campus because I was so inundated with all my course load. Um, I think I would have probably taken more freshman level courses yeah. in my first semester and maybe dabbled in more upper level courses my second semester when I was like already established. But the other than that, my transition was really good. My floor was great. The people in my building were, were really nice and I got to experience sort of on campus right. for the first time. So yeah. super exciting. And that's sort of the, uh, that's one of the pluses of UConn is the people. It's yeah. like everyone who I've met here has been super nice, friendly, outgoing. And it's like, I've never met, I haven't met someone yet that makes me go, oh, you know, maybe this isn't the right place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Especially when everyone's sort of in a new environment. I think that you can sort of bring out the good and the bad in people. And I didn't really have an experience where like there was really bad, right. uh, you know, moments in yeah. the first semester at good least. yeah because we're all we're all on the same page everyone is forced to go make those new friends <laughs> um so as an undergrad what were some helpful study methods you developed for your classes my friend is a stem major and she's like chemistry is killing me right now so is there anything that kind of helped any tricks any tricks of the trade that helped you get through those rigorous courses yeah i think um a lot of the STEM courses are, are very different. Mm -hmm. So the like the organic chemistry, for example, is a very different way to study than like um, some uh, microbiology or physiology courses. There's just a lot of different tools that you have to learn and um, ways to think about things. Right. So um, I think the the first course I really had to study because you know in high school I sort of studied. It. Yeah. No one really back. studies in high school. <laughs> yeah. Looking back, <laughs> I don't think I really studied the way I studied in college, but um. Organic chemistry, for example, was was really about 
knowing the topics, but knowing how to use what you knew. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I benefited from, you know, going to class and learning the information firsthand, sort of reviewing them on my own time, but getting in a steady group and either learning from other people or mostly teaching other people what I learned yeah. in my own time. Um, and that has that really helped me solidify the material that I learned personally while also benefiting other people because, you know, they were also learning it and getting someone else's perspective or mastery in one topic would yeah. really help someone else and vice versa. So um, that was one of the main skills I learned pretty um, early on that I needed to, you know, go with a group mentality to get through some of these really hard courses. Right, because by the time the test comes around, you need to be an expert. So if you're teaching people that subject, then you automatically become the, the expert, yeah, the so quote to speak. Unquote, expert. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, you mentioned that your first year was a little crazy, but um, the rest of the years at UConn, were you involved in any extracurriculars, clubs? And yeah, sports? so um, I was. My freshman year, I, I uh, started in an organization called Medical Humanitarian Society, which mm -hmm. I'm not too sure if they're still on campus, maybe. Um, but it was really thriving my freshman year. So I saw that as a great opportunity to meet people that were like-minded to myself. Yeah. So I joined that freshman year. I really enjoyed it as a member. Um, then sophomore through senior year, I was on the executive board doing various um, jobs. Like I think my junior year, or my senior year, I forget now, but I was um, in charge of the major trip and we did a service trip to Guatemala. Um, I was secretary one year and coordinator for some something else. Yeah, yeah. Year, so <laughs> um, that was really uh, one of the highlights in at least student organizations that I was involved in uh, during my undergrad years at UConn. Good. And were there any people, maybe in that club, any leaders that kind of helped you along your way? Um, I'm not... I don't know. I would say probably our, our club advisors helped, you know, in, in areas that we had weakness. Uh, definitely some senior um, undergraduates who were guiding the organization as I was, you know, a freshman or sophomore. Yeah, as an underclassman. Um, they, they definitely helped in transitioning to the executive board and learning how to, you know, provide opportunities for others. So um, that was pretty good. But I also had a lot of experience in high school with clubs and organizations. I was really involved then. So I really was seeking, you know, that something like that. Yeah. And in college. So, yeah, I know for me personally, a lot of my passions and a lot of things I enjoyed in high school, I tried to find spots at UConn that could kind of fulfill, like I performed a lot in high school. So I figured up something like a podcast or was like another way of performance, but sure. like a good transition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, UConn provides so many different ways that you so can transition. So many. And that's like the plus of going to such a large school. For sure. Yeah. I, I was seeking that when, cause my high school, my graduating class was like 200 people. Mm -hmm. So it, it was a relatively medium sized high school, but I was really seeking that, you know, large campus, so many people, so right, many different that classic college yeah, experience. Exactly. Um, and so after your four years at UConn and earning your bachelor's degree, what kind of motivated you to stay here? Uh, I wasn't really much of a motivation such or rather than um, just getting into things I was interested mm -hmm. in. So my senior year or actually my junior in between my junior and senior year. So that summer, um, one of my better friends was graduating and, and going on to medical school. And so I was given the opportunity to join the lab she was leaving, yeah. which was uh, Dr. Mulkey's lab. And so I was introduced to him and the um, grad students and the postdoc at the time uh, that were in the lab and what projects were um, going on. And I uh, specifically took over her project that she needed to have 
finished. Um, and I just really enjoyed this one project. Um, yeah. And I just really loved the whole process of collecting data and all and, and analyzing and all that stuff. So I really just fell in love with the science. And then at the end of my senior year, I was still sort of deciding my career options. Right. At that point, I knew I wanted to go to medical school rather than be a physician assistant, but I was sort of burnt out with classes and sitting and lecturing that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. And I didn't think I'd really thrive in that environment at just that yet. moment. Yeah. So I wanted to do a master's um, and just continue in the lab that I just thought was so cool. And there are so many different opportunities. Um, but then uh, Dr. Mulkey sort of convinced me to do a PhD. Um, <laughs> and then I got some uh, extramural funding that you introduced and, and sort of that sort of happened. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and once everything falls into place, you just got to go with it. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I've, I'm just finishing um, this uh, funding mechanism up and uh, a lot of my projects are done. So now I'm ready to go to medical school. So <laughs> awesome. And so can you kind of sort of explain to our listeners what a doctoral degree is? How do you discover a PhD? How did you discover a PhD was an option for you? Now, I know we just talked about Dr. Mulkey kind yeah. of leading you to that. Um, or did you always know you wanted to pursue a PhD degree? Uh, definitely not. Um, I definitely wasn't thinking I would actually be interested in research at all as a um, freshman or sophomore. Mm -hmm. I was sort of put off with that. I had a lot of, at the time actually, um, I was working at Hartford Hospital as a patient care associate in the transplant unit there. Uh, so I was really involved clinically. And so that's sort of what I thought I wanted to do and pursue, um, which yeah. I still do. but just solely, and I didn't really care for the research part of it. Um, so I didn't really give it a chance. But when my friend sort of gave me this opportunity, I just wanted to try something new. And I said, hey, yeah. might as well see what this research thing's all about, being on a, such a, a heavily funded university. So um, now I definitely see the utility. I mean, research is, is fundamental, as we all know now to with the everything, pandemic. Everything, yes. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's crucial for health and well-being, as well as um, just fundamental questions in science and how the body works, how life works um, on this planet and others, and just so many existential questions we have yeah. can be answered by science, So, and especially basic science research. So. Um, I definitely now can appreciate research and, and will use these skills and tools I've learned here um, through my PhD um, and in, beyond. In, yeah. yeah. And in, in any sort of a career option I have moving forward. So. So sort of transitioning the conversation to more of your life as a researcher, um, what can you tell students who want to get involved with research at UConn? Any advice? Yeah. So uh, I sort of had an in, which unfortunately for our department, it's it's very difficult for undergraduates to get into a lab. There are mm -hmm. opportunities for sure, but we're such a small science department um, that it's very difficult for undergraduates to secure uh, positions for multiple years. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you can't be involved in research. There's a ton of departments that have uh, many, many researchers that have undergraduates um, do a lot of key experiments and important work for them. Uh, specifically, I know psychology, the main workforce is in research, psychology yeah. is research and it's done by undergrads. So a lot of the maintenance of, of um, rats and mice and different experimental um, paradigms they have going on is all done by undergraduates on campus. So uh, there's opportunity. Um, and I think that anyone that's interested in anything in science or even social sciences or anything like that, mm -hmm. there's research opportunities for you to really see what it's like to you know contribute 
in, in some aspect to these um, disciplines. For example, I didn't really appreciate when I was taking courses, but a lot of the textbooks are, are all based off of fundamental original you know, scientific work. So, you know, sentences that you learn in lecture or whatever, oh, okay, an X potential, this is how that happens, all that stuff. That that's not just set in stone. That's just papers that they've created into a sentence and just haven't really cited it in the text. It's just in the back of the book. Mm -hmm. So all the topics that you're learning about are are all based off of these research efforts from people going back from the fifties and sixties. So um it's it's for me, it was really interesting to be able to even make one sentence in a textbook. Like I contributed that much to this field. You right. know, that, that would be super cool. So Yeah, and just knowing that that is, that is kind of the physical proof of all that hard research work. Exactly. Um, so, and what, I don't know if that was your favorite part about being a researcher, but <laughs> if you can come up with another one. What? No, no, for sure. My favorite part is, is getting my hands wet and doing some stuff. I, one of the main reasons, my motivations, I sort of talked about why I wanted to do this was I was sick of just sitting and listening to people yeah. lecture, which I there's utility in that for sure. I learned a ton, but I just wanted to do things with myself yeah. rather than just sit and listen and, and study. So that was definitely my favorite part. I, I love coming up with different experiments to do and answer different questions and critically think about what what's the best way to do this. And I, I just, I really enjoy that. And definitely this last four years of doing that, I'll definitely miss it. Yeah, and some people are such, such tactile learners versus auditory learners that the classroom setting might not be the place for them. Exactly. Um, So what are some ways that you promote science communication and literacy? Yeah, so um, when I started my PhD, I specifically wanted to act, well, uh, this is two-pronged, so I'll say the first one. I I wanted to promote literacy in my community, um, specifically in undergraduates and and people in, you know, man's field. In the circles, yeah. um, That maybe they had some misconceptions about um, just basic science topics. I was involved in an undergraduate course in um, PNB that specifically looked at science communication in the public. And there's there's a lot of fundamental miscommunications about science in the public that I was appalled with when I started doing sort of the, the baseline, yeah. like asking um, just undergraduates or even people in store center, very basic questions like what is a gene? what how does evolution work just very very basic you know answers to questions that people were like actually i don't know that it's like well this is yeah, this like, is how do you not know that? yeah yeah well which i, I wouldn't blame them if no. they're not in a science background but especially now with the news media saying all these statistics and you know to prefer this method of whatever right um all of these science topics are rooted in very basic questions that you know are are involved in high school education and science courses so to be reminded of that and to to promote science literacy in our community is really one thing that i've tried to continue through my phd Um, the second prong was um, as a first year phd student i was really interested in um, giving back to um, elementary and middle school classrooms and how i did that was through a program called skype a scientist Mm -hmm. uh, which it can still be done today because it was through Skype. Especially done today, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, it was, so uh, classrooms all around the country, and actually there was some in Canada I did, um, and there's presumably people in, in other uh, countries as mm-hmm. well. They 
can sign up and I get matched with some of these classrooms and I can just Skype them for an hour or two, whatever they wanted um, on any topic and sort of share my experiences or talk to them about science classes. I helped the classroom dissect a sheep's brain. Um, That's I, so cool. Yeah, I, I talked to the Smithsonian um, in one of those um, sections that they had um, for little kids and talking about different cool science facts or whatever. Right. So um, stuff like that, I think I, I particularly saw the teachers um, saying, you know, you really inspired some of these students to, you know, get involved in science class. I didn't really, I wasn't able to really do that before they saw a real scientist, right. you know, however real I am. <laughs> but, but as a kid, like that is definitely something inspiring to see versus like your teacher just telling you to do something. Exactly. Yeah. Um, was there a moment as a researcher in the past four years or just in your college career in general, where you sort of faced a particular obstacle and how did you handle that? Well, part of doing a PhD, at least in the life sciences, is learning how to overcome obst obstacles. I mean, there's a lot of failure in doing research because your hypothesis doesn't work out or the, the tools you're using, you are learning and so you didn't do it correctly or vice versa, whatever right. happens. Um, so there's a lot of area for growth, which is good when you're learning, but um, it's also could be frustrating when things don't go your way. Right. Um, but on the flip side, you know, now I'm in an opportunity um, where I can teach other people the things I've learned and what to do right and what to do wrong and getting something to work. Exactly. So um, the first two years of the program, I was really, you know, struggling with getting some things working and you know, a lot of PhD students will tell you that, that is sort of all trial and error. But yeah. over time, I've, I've really enjoyed the opportunity to do some research with tools that I know and, and teach others in the lab now that are more junior than I, um, how that all works. So, And a lot of like new things do come out from failures, exactly. some yeah. things you might not even be looking for. Exactly. Um, what are what what are you currently working on right now? <laughs> like, if you could explain to our listeners. Yeah. So um I, I think you introduced this. Um, my lab looks at brainstem respiratory um, areas and how they function to increase uh, respirations to different stimuli. Uh, that's sort of a very broad um, aspect, yeah. but um, specifically I have multiple projects in um, an area of the brainstem that's called a chemoreceptor, which means that it can change breathing behavior based on um, CO2 in the tissue and circulating in the blood. So an increase in CO2 would, would increase your ventilations based on the activity of these areas called chemoreceptors. In the brainstem. In the brainstem, yeah. And so obviously we can control our breathing like we are right now talking, mm -hmm. but we also don't need to think about breathing um, in order to survive, like your heart beating and that stuff. Right. Unlike your heart, the, your um, respirations are almost completely controlled by your brainstem. Um, while your heart is autorhythmic or can beat on its own. So these areas are, are, cru are crucial and critical to maintain um, ventilations while we're talking, um, while you're running, while you're swimming, mm -hmm. uh, stuff like that. So throughout I, your life. Have you found any overlap with coronavirus and your research about That's the respiratory system? That's a great question. Um, there was initially some interest, um, but I believe the overarching um, issues with coronaviruses just in general is um, ventilation in the lung. Yeah. So it's not really a brainstem deficiency. It's gotcha. more of a lung compliance issue. Uh, so a lot of the research has turned that way rather mm -hmm. than looking at the upstream targets. Right. 
Um, I like I mentioned earlier in your introduction, you won the NRSA. Um, how did it feel to win that National Research Award? Um, it was exciting. Uh, my uh, PI, uh, Dr. Mulkey, he had a, a postdoctoral fellow who um, has a postdoc is someone who graduated with their PhD and they're continuing research um, mm -hmm. in the hopes of becoming a professor somewhere else. And so um, postdocs can have uh, a similar funding mechanism. Um, and he had a researcher have one of those in his lab. But I was the first as a pre-doctoral or a PhD student um, that earned that in the life sciences. Um, there have been some in uh, other areas of campus, but very few because they're very challenging to get. Yeah. Um, and especially as a first year student, I got that. It's it's almost of hurt, unheard of to get them so early. Um, so um, that was really exciting. Yeah. It opened the door for a lot of people um, in my lab and specifically in my uh, department to get more of them. There are um, two uh, PhD students in my lab specifically that have earned them after me. So uh, as you get students that are earning these, it's sort of easier and easier mm -hmm. to get them. Uh, but it all started with me. And your lab sort of has now that kind of like Track credibility. Record. Yeah, exactly. Um, did you so, call your mom right away? No, I um, actually left class because I was in class at the time. <laughs> yeah. And I went right to my boss's office and I was like, look, I got it. <laughs> Amazing. I got, like, yeah. Um, so kind of moving towards our closing questions of this conversation, thinking more big picture as someone who's now been in education eight years, um, what do you think the purpose of college is? Well, that's a good question. I think it's changed over the eight years that I've uh, been in higher education mm -hmm. in general. I think initially um, the purpose for me at least was to, to get exposure to different things and the different experiences, different um, opinions in the world um, yeah. around me, especially in a, an institution that brings people that um, are from different countries or they have different experiences in this country and they're all in one campus. It's sort of a melting pot of researchers and lecturers and um, students in just their experiences and their opinions. So I think that was one of the goals um, that I had, especially coming here in a large university setting um, and, and learning about different people's opinions because I've lived in Connecticut my whole life. Right. So there's not many different opinions I get no. in Connecticut. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely early on. That was something that I was looking forward to and seeking out. Now I think it's um, UConn's a great uh place to do excellent research, mm -hmm. especially since um, being a research last, university. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Being a, what is an R1? Yeah, something um, like that. Research university. Uh, so that's been really great. Um, melding with different researchers that have a ton of funding and they're highly respected in their field. Um, getting opportunities to work with them is definitely a highlight in my PhD years. Um, just having scientific um discussions and, and critiques about my work and their work. It's just, it's um, really uh, important discourse to have, especially in any field of research. So I, I really enjoyed that in my latter. Yeah. Life. And that's a really good point that the learning at college is not just in the classroom. It's everywhere. It's you're learning from all the new people and all your new teachers and every little experience. And I think that's kind of been one of the highlights for me as hosting this podcast is that I've been able to learn so much from people who have already gone through UConn or who are currently going through UConn and are a little bit further on their path that now maybe I don't have to do so much of the 
the legwork because exactly. I've gotten that advice yeah, yeah, firsthand. Um, so now this is our signature question. We ask all our guests. Um, we're all first at something, whether you're the first person in your family to go to college or something else. Um, what do you feel like you've been the first at and how has that impacted your life experience? That's a good question. I don't know. I would say not pulling on the, the funding mechanism. I know. I was going to say that could be a good answer. Easy. Too easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's think. I would say I, so I recently, um, kind of went into my Italian heritage. Um, so one of my uncles made this whole ancestry.com like family tree mm -hmm. for my, um, paternal Italian side. And so it goes back, I think four or five generations. So it was really interesting to look at everyone and yeah. what they did. But I saw a lack in the medical community. There is no one that has really been going into sciences mm -hmm. or in the medical community. So I think I'm the first to really um, pursue something in the medical community. Um, so I'll definitely be the first MD, PhD um, in my immediate and extended family, but also just anyone in healthcare. And right. There's no one. Um, on either side of my family, that is. So that's my first. Well, now get ready. You're going to start getting the calls oh, for yeah. every, every ailment, every problem someone has. I already do. I'm actually an EMT. So people ask me stuff all the time. On the regular. I've not been trained for it all. Right. You give the answers you can. <laughs> <laughs> so what is, well, you, you've given a lot of great advice, especially to STEM majors at UConn and, and people interested in STEM. What is um, some other advice you might give to a college student or a first year listener? Um, advice I would give to a first year listener. I know, especially if you're from Connecticut, a lot of students from the same high school would come here. Um, I know there's five or six from my year that came as well. And it was really easy to sort of seek those people out and, you know, already have a group of people that you knew and sort of just do things with them. But I would, I tried to avoid that because I specifically wanted to have new opportunities mm -hmm. with new people. Um, and I would advise that, you know, it's great to have old friends and you can meet up with them, but definitely try to get those new experiences with new people. Yeah. Like we were just talking about, I wanted to have other people's opinions and I sort of knew those people's opinions right. and things and, and how they were. So navigating that as a first year student, I think is definitely one of the highlights, mm -hmm. you know, and one of the biggest difficulties for sure. You know, it, and a lot of times, um, friendships don't work out and yeah. it's just a difference in, you know, how they live their life and how you live their life. And right. that's okay. It, that, that's part of learning how to be an adult, you know, seeing maybe behaviors and people that you're, you don't want to really associate with, or you don't think is, is what you want to be surrounded by. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. You know, surround yourself with people that make you better. And I think that's a big highlight from my first couple of years on campus. That's an excellent piece of advice. <laughs> um, so now is the time when we get to turn the conversation around and I let you ask me a question. So fire away. <laughs> okay. uh, my question to you is what specifically do you want to do in arts and humanities? I know you said you're an art major, but yeah. what's your goal? Um, so right now, my major is printmaking and graphic design. So I'm hoping to go work at uh, either a design firm or in-house. And I think end goal is kind of to be a creative director of like a brand and stuff, because I think I personally have a really good eye for aesthetics and stuff like that. So who knows? <laughs> right at the beginning of my journey. Um, well, it's been a wonderful conversation with you, Colin. I hope all our listeners learned so much from you. Um, yes, thanks for having me. Uh, but that's all we have for today, and peace out, Huskies.
My First Year Story podcast is a production of the University of Connecticut's undergraduate student body in collaboration with the Office of First Year Programs, Learning Communities, the Academic Achievement Center, and the Learning Community Innovation Zone. Our co-producers are Casey Jaycox and Hannah Peterson. Our staff advisors are Cody Ryan and Helena DeBald. For more information on our podcast, to meet our entire staff, and to listen to more episodes, visit fyp.uconn.edu backslash mfys. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at UConnFYP.